Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Invention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hold the Line. So, This week, I'm going to talk to begin with about introducing your dog or puppy to shot and good ways to do this and mistakes that you can make when you try to do this. So to begin with, there's a kind of a difference really between socializing a puppy to shot and making sure that they're not scared and making the shot become a cue for something. And so... What I like to do is with little puppies, I like to just include shot as part of the stuff which I'm getting the pup used to as far as noises go. So you can do this with many of the sounds DVDs that you can purchase from Amazon, which have have like pre-recorded sounds on them. So they have like lorries, backfiring, traffic, motorbikes, they have fireworks, they have washing machines and machinery, they have beeping noises, they have all kinds of things that dogs are often scared of. And one of those things they often have is gunshot. So I like to sort of include it with all of that and really make sure that the pups are okay with it. So you can play these noises really quietly in the background. You're always watching the puppies to make sure that they're not showing signs of being worried or afraid. It's also good to do something with the puppy to sort of preoccupy them and also to help the noise become a positive experience. So you might be like training the puppy while the noise is playing, but you're not necessarily doing it. You're not interacting with the noise. You're not making the noise relevant in any way. You're not making the noise into a cue. You're not making it meaningful. You're just kind of making it blah. So so that's one thing that I like to do. Once I've done that, and you can do that actually with pups before they leave the breeder. So breeders can be playing these sounds in a very quiet noise to pups when they're in the weaning pan and just getting them used to it. The next thing that I would do with a pup when they're a little bit older, so they're kind of you know eight weeks plus, is to take them to a, um, a clay pigeon club and get them used to hearing shot happening. So I'd start by parking the car park quite far away from where the shot is and keeping all the doors of the car closed at first. You're trying to make sure the noise just doesn't happen suddenly too loudly and and scare the puppy because it's, kind of, it's really hard to recover from that. So um, yeah, start as far away as you reasonably can with all the doors closed. And you probably want to okay this beforehand with the Clay Pigeon Club or just let them know that you're doing this, that they don't wonder why you're hanging around. Um, <laughs> so then you, once puppy's okay with that, you can get the pup out of the car. And there's a couple of things I like to do, either sort of sprinkle food on the floor until you find it and the pup's kind of sniffing for food, 
or if got a pup which likes to play, I'll often like put a rug on the floor and sort of play some tuggy with the pup and just kind of hang out there. And I'm just looking for any sort of sign of fear um, or yeah, any sort of worry about the noise. If there isn't any worry, then we can get closer gradually to to where the action is. And really an ideal situation, I want to get to the point where the pup just really doesn't care at all and they're just not reacting in any way. So if there is any sign of fear, we need to massively reduce our, um, well, the loudness of the noise, really. So I might move further away. I might you know, go back in the car and close all the doors. I might park the car further away. But it's really important that we dial that right down and we're not... We're not kind of, oh, let's just stay here and just see what happens if we do it a little bit more, if we feed a bit more food, if we play a little bit more, because you can easily sensitize the puppy instead of um, desensitizing the puppy. So we really want to go massively the other direction if we feel that we need to. And we can always gradually come back away from that again. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the approach there. Now, still, this shot doesn't mean anything. I haven't taught the puppy that shot is relevant, is meaningful, and has any implications for them whatsoever. So at this point, there's usually a little sort of hiatus in terms of shot because there's lots of other stuff going on that I'm training and working through. So I would then start to teach my remote sit, my sit whistle. So um, when I peep the whistle, I want the dog to sit where they are at a distance. And there's various different ways to go about training that, but I'm not going to get into that in lots of detail because I want to focus on the shot aspect of all of this. So let's just assume that you've trained your dog to to sit to the sit whistle. The next thing that I would do is start to teach the dog that shot equals sit as well. So the way that I would do that is new cue, old cue. So my new cue would be shot, then I would have the sit whistle. So the best way that I would do this is to start with party poppers because they're a bit quieter than a starting pistol. And they're kind of easy to kind of have in your pocket, a few party poppers. I suggest that you take out the little cardboard disc on the base of the party popper and pull out all the streamers inside the party popper so it's not gonna it's not gonna actually fire streamers. Um <laughs> which then you have to pick up. Um, but yeah, you're just going to like pull the string and it'll just make a little a bang noise basically. So by the way, this is also a really good tip if you live somewhere where it's illegal to walk around with something that looks like a gun. And so you might be limited in terms of being able to use a starting pistol or something gun-like. So party poppers do not look at all obviously like a gun. So it's pretty safe to be taking them out and using them with your dog. So yeah, so basically... I would try it first to make sure your dog is a good distance away from you. So your remote sit needs to be pretty reliable so that your dog is able to sit quite far away from you at this point because you don't want to be too close when you first make the bang in case it scares your dog. So when your dog is quite far away, I would do the bang and then do your sit whistle and then click the dog sits and then reinforce the dog however you've been doing that and that is part of the remote sit training which I won't get into. So you then attached your party popper to the remote sit. With many repetitions you can then fade out your sit whistle so you should just be able to do the party popper and the dog sits. So wherever the dog is they just sit whenever they hear the party popper and that happens through over and over you going party popper sit, sit whistle click, treat, party popper, sit whistle, click, treat. Eventually you just go party popper and the dog will sit. So it's part of the process of new key, old key, attaching a new key um, to another key. So once you've got that happening with your party poppers, then I tend to use this um, little 
dummy I have, which goes bang, which I actually don't think is available anymore. And it's a real shame because they were fantastic little pieces of equipment. I've had this one for about maybe 15 years now. And basically it uses a a short um, cap from Sterling Pistol and you sort of screw off the base of the dummy and you put a cap in and screw the base on again. And then when you throw the dummy, sort of motion of throwing the dummy makes the makes it go bang when it's in the air and then it falls on the ground. And so you've basically got, again, something that makes the sound, this time exactly the same sound as a starting pistol, but it's not actually a starting p- a pistol visually. So again, you can feel comfortable walking around with this in a public place. So yeah, so then I would basically move on to that, but I wouldn't send the dog for the retrieve. And this is the important thing. So a, the main mistake that people make, or a big mistake people make when they introduce shot, is that very quickly, shot comes to mean there's an amazing thing out there that you're going to want to get. So shot comes to mean something really, really incredibly exciting is in the air or yeah, in the air basically and falling to the ground. It's yeah. And that's what it comes to mean. And so then that's when you get the shot starting to mean to the dog, something to cue the dog to want to run in and to want to be unsteady and to want to go get it. So we can really avoid that by a lot of effort early on separating the shot from that meaning. So we don't want the shot to mean there's something to retrieve. And we don't want the shot to get connected with the retrieve in that in that way. So so with my sort of dummy thing that goes bang when I throw it, I wouldn't then be immediately sending the dog for the retrieve, even if they're steady. What I do is the best reinforcer that I've got at the moment for my GSP pop when she sits to something like this is the, her flirt pole. She just loves that more than food. So I would get my flirt pole out. I have a really good game with the flirt pole. And whilst I'm having that game with the flirt pole, I'm walking a really good distance away. So she's sort of pulling on it and I'm walking away and we're pulling on it. And we kind of walk about, um, I don't know, 80, 100 yards away from the fallen dummy. And then um, we finish our flirt pole game. I get her to sit at my side and I send her for that dummy at that point. So it becomes quite a memory retrieve, but it's not associated with the behavior of running to it because so much time has elapsed and so much reinforcement, as it were, has elapsed. And we've moved, we're moving while reinforcing. And there's just a big break really in the behavior at that point. So it's not getting connected with the retrieve that I'm then sending her for. So I would do everything in my power to avoid the shot coming to mean, go get the thing that's exciting. Because really, really, you want the shot to mean sit. That's what you want your shot to cue. You want your shot to cue sit. So, and you want the, you want that to be really kind of firmly in the dog's mind before you move on to sending them for game or putting this chain together. So that would be my recommendation. You can then move on to a stunning pistol and shotgun and it just all kind of works the same way. So it's like, there's not any big change with any of that, but you do need to think about how often that chain is getting run together. Um, equally, if you've got a dog at your side and there are shots being fired before a retrieve, you want to make sure that that shot cues sit in a way. Even if eventually you want the dog standing at your side and not sitting, you want it to cue stop, don't go, stay still. So you may be kind of walking along with the dog at heel and when there's a shot, then you would stop walking and help the dog learn that that means sit and then click and treat. And you would kind of do that separate to the shot being kind of like the verbal, like a, like you saying mark to the dog. The shot comes to mean there's something to mark. Um, but you don't want all this to get smooshed together into a chain. So I hope that helps in terms of how to introduce shot. 
someone once asked me or has asked me recently about um, gun shyness and how you would approach that. Um, so, yeah, it's just that's that's probably less about gun dog training and that's more about behavioral work. It's more about counter conditioning and desensitization. And what I would suggest is that you work with a qualified force free trainer or behaviorist on this because it doesn't involve some, you don't need someone who knows anything about gun dog training basically to desensitize your dog to shot. It's, it's, you know, it's just a noise like any other noise. So a dog might be afraid of a beeping, beeping noises. Basically it's often something dogs get worried about. Um, or they might get worried about, I don't know, metallic noises. So often there is a category of noise that a dog is worried about. And behaviorists and trainers are very used to being called in to help people um, with their dogs with these fears. And so a dog which is worried about shot, it's just no different. I know it seems very gun dog specific, but actually you don't need a gun dog trainer for this particular thing. You should go and find a qualified um, force-free trainer or behaviorist to work with on that issue. Um, and they can draw up a plan for your particular dog and their needs. So that would be my recommendation there. Um, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, yes. One thing that, that is often done is, um, and this is this is pretty common, particularly in North America, I see this happening a lot, um, like people introducing shot by firing it when the dog is really excited or really into something. So usually what happens is it's a retrieve. So they go woo, woo, woo. And then they throw the dummy or the bird even. And then the dog is really excited and the dog is running out to see it. And while the dog is running out to see it, that's when they fire the shot with the thinking that the dog, the dog probably isn't going to notice the shot. If the dog does notice it, it's going to get associated with the positive experience that is running out for retrieve and it's not going to come to be something that the dog is scared of. And I would say that this is true or maybe true, but think about as a cue what you're attaching that shot to. So the shot is going to have a meaning. And if the shot is happening or occurring just as and just before the dog is running out, um, just before the dog reaches the bird, then that's what it's going to come to mean to the dog. It's, con- it's going to come to mean um, run out get the bird, be unsteady, run, run and get the thing. <laughs> That's what the, the shot is going to come to mean. So I think we have to be really careful here, particularly if we're not going to use aversive methods later on to steady up the dog. So I think that there is a way to introduce shot, which doesn't require us to associate it with running in or being unsteady or hyper arousal. I think there's a way we can introduce it to be blah, to be nothing, to be you know, just another noise, which the dog is just completely fine with to begin with. And then we can begin to teach the dog that the shot means sit. We don't actually have to associate the shot with running in hyper arousal, excitement and, and that level of stuff. That makes sense. That degree of, um, overexcitement. So I hope that makes sense and has given people some ideas in terms of introducing the dog to shot. And yeah, I think as far as, um, versatile dogs go, pointing breeds. I would try to separate out the the sort of hunting, pointing, shot, something falling from the something falling and retrieve. So I try to practice this whole chain in these two parts and not run that chain together very much at all to begin with until you've got it working really well, the two separate parts. So, and that's because that's where the unsteadiness tends to happen is the the um, bird is shot and it falls and then the dog runs in because they're anticipating that retrieve cue or because 
um, they, they've associated the shot with something exciting or with the retrieve and they think it means go and have fun and get it. And, and so if we can really separate these two parts of the chain out and work on them separately and not run them together too much, then that can be really, really helpful. And we can also have another dog do the retrieve for us because that's another way of breaking the chain up. So you might have one dog that is hunting, pointing, uh, maybe flushing if you if you live somewhere where you want to flush and steady to the shot and fall. And then that dog is, you know, reinforced appropriately and put on a leash. And then another dog performs a retrieve. And that way you keep the chain separate and you don't run it together. Another option, if you don't have another dog, is you can perform the retrieve yourself. So you can... Um, leave a dog in the sit stay, go and retrieve the game yourself. So you don't always have to run it together and end up with a dog anticipating that they're going to get a retrieve after every shot. Um, so work on making shot mean sit. Think of the shot as being like your sit whistle. So just like you go peep and the dog sits, that's what the shot should mean. It should mean sit. So unfortunately, often it comes to mean the opposite. And that's because of how we introduce it in the first place. And once we've introduced it as a powerful cue, meaning run in, go and get it, be hyper aroused and overexcited, it's really difficult to recover from that and to teach the dog. Actually, it means sit. It's really, really hard to undo that prior learning. So that would be my advice on introducing your dog to shot. Hold the line. So I had a question from someone who says, Joe, I'm a vegetarian. Can I get involved in gun dog work ethically? And if so, what can I do? So... I think this is a really interesting um, question. So it's at this point that my knowledge of what is available in various countries around the world falters a little bit. So I'm just going to talk about the UK and what it's possible to get involved with here. So gundog working tests, which are typically held in the summer months, although they can be quite a long season because they can start in March and run until September. So it's quite a long summer, quote unquote, season. And these are run on dummies principally. Occasionally, the open class in a gun dog working test will use cold game, but not very often. To be honest, although all the entry forms that I have seen say things like cold game may be used in the open class, I think I've been to maybe one or two working tests where they actually had some pigeon that was shot that we were using. And in every single other, even open working test, they've had dummies. So and in anything other than the open, like so in the novice class and the puppy class, it would definitely be dummies only. So if you want to get involved in some working tests, then you'll be starting out in either the puppy or the novice class or maybe um, novice dog, novice handler. All of those classes that you would be starting in will use dummies. So don't worry about being confronted by game or anything like that on that on those um, occasions. So you can do gun dog working tests. And that's the same whatever subgroup of gun dog you have, whether you have a spaniel, HBR, a retriever, it's the same. The other things you can do is the gun dog club tests. So in the UK, we have the gun dog club, which I've mentioned before, and they run graded assessments from grade one through to grade five, although I believe HBR stops at grade four at the moment. But they, they run graded assessments, and except for grade five, all of the graded assessments are on dummies, bumpers, as they are in the US. Um, so it's only grade five where there's some cold game introduced. And even then, it's an option. So I believe there are three options and you have to choose two of the three. One of those three kind of options is that you're going to use cold game. And so if you wanted to pick away right through to the end without using cold game, you could do that as well. If you have a, a HBR breed and you live in the UK, you can also do spring pointing tests. 
These involve the dog quartering, hunting, pointing, and flushing the game, and the game will just fly off. It won't be shot. So as long as you're okay with the dog, you know, pointing the game and flushing the game and the game flying off unharmed, then you would be okay with spring pointing tests as well. So it gives you another option. Have I covered everything? I think I probably have. Oh, no, I haven't. A Kennel Club Working Gun Dog Certificate can be done on dummies. So you can also do that on dummies as well. So actually, there's lots of stuff that you can do with your dog, which doesn't involve game, cold game or warm game or shooting. So I think this is really, really important to put across to people because these dogs, these breed, you know, gun dogs generally are incredibly popular and they come with these instincts. And if you don't channel these instincts, then they are going to find outlets of their own and they may not be outlets that you appreciate or want. So that's where gun dog training comes in. Even if you're not going to do gun dog training to the point of working on game, whether that be live or dead, you are still channeling your dog's instincts in a productive way and reducing the risk of having to confront fallout from not having channeled those. Those would be my recommendations. So just run through them again. Gun dog working tests, the gun dog club graded assessments, the kennel club working gun dog certificate on dummies, and if you have a HBR breed, you can do spring pointing tests as well. So that actually gives you loads to get stuck into. Even com- competitively, that gives you loads to get stuck into. So I'd really highly recommend that you, you know, investigate that. Hold the line. So that's all for this week, everybody. Take care and stay safe. And see you all next time. Hold the line. Hold the line. Hold the line. Hold the line.